You are listening to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast with Monica Louie, episode number 36. Welcome to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast, where we help online entrepreneurs grow their influence, amplify their impact, and scale their businesses all the way to seven figures. And now, here's your host, Monica Louie. Hey, hey, thank you so much for joining me for the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I'm Monica Louie, and I am bringing you another insightful interview. Today's guest is a USA Today bestselling author and founder of Amazon Ad School. His author copywriting agency, Best Page Forward, has written more than 2,000 book descriptions and more than 100,000 of his books have been sold to date. And if you're new to the podcast and don't know me yet, then welcome. I am a Facebook and Instagram ad strategist, and I run a successful ads agency where my team and I manage ads for six and seven figure online businesses. I'm also the creator of Flourish with Facebook ads, my online training program that teaches my step-by-step system for creating campaigns that convert. My team and I have managed more than one and a half million dollars in ad spend and served more than 700 students and clients. And we are in the trenches every single day, keeping a pulse on what's working now in the world of Facebook and Instagram ads. And while I teach a lot about Facebook and Instagram ads, the goal of this podcast is to discuss what it really takes to build a seven-figure online business. And that's why I love to bring you interviews with experts and successful business owners like my guest today. I am super pumped to bring you my interview with the incredible Brian Cohen. As you'll hear, Brian is a good friend with a lot of things going on in his business. He is a best-selling author, a podcaster, course creator, agency owner, and more. And we talk about how he manages all of those projects in this interview. In this episode, you'll learn how Brian increased efficiencies in his business so he could focus his time where it truly matters. The unique ways that Brian finds and vets candidates when hiring to grow his team, the key components to using Amazon ads effectively to sell more books, Brian shares the surprising ways a nonfiction book could benefit your business and help you make more sales and the top three tactical tips you can do to take your copywriting from ho-hum to wow. And we talk about a whole lot more. I promise you, no matter where you are in growing your business, you are going to get some great tips from this jam-packed episode. But before we dive in, I want to make sure that you know that you can find all of the links and resources that we mentioned in today's episode at monicalouie.com slash 36. That's M-O-N-I-C-A-L-O-U-I-E dot com slash the number 36. All right, let's dive into the interview with Brian Cohen from bestpageforward.net. Brian Cohen, I'm so excited to chat with you today. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So you and I go back, well, we met originally in the SP Accelerator, Pat Flynn's high-level coaching mastermind program back over 2018 to 2019. And so share with the people who you are, what you do, and who you serve. Sure. Well, 
I'm Brian. Hey, I I run a multifaceted business as we've kind of gone over just offline. My company, Best Page Forward, primarily writes the book descriptions that go on the back of the book for authors, mostly in the self-publishing community, in an effort to help them increase their book sales, get their message out into the world, and hopefully turn a nice profit for themselves. Very cool. And yeah, so you've got a lot going on on top of that. But basically in the author space, working with authors, helping them sell more books. So how did you get here? What spurred you into this niche? I mean, I know a little bit of the answer, but can you please share like what led you to becoming an entrepreneur and starting your own business? Were you always entrepreneurial minded? How did that look in the beginning? I'm trying to think because that's kind of an interesting way to take the question, right? The When did this whole entrepreneurial bug seem to bite you? And I'm trying to think because I remember in college being theater kid, and I remember when I would say, like, propose a play to the theater department down at uh, University of North Carolina to lab theater. They would do, I think it was something like 12 plays a year, and you would submit your idea for your play. And I remember somewhere around my sophomore year, they didn't accept one of the plays I wanted to do. And I don't know why or how or whatever, but I said, well, then I'm going to go off and do it myself. I rented one of the big theater rooms and just did the play myself there, just produced it, uh, did the whole shebang. And I don't really know if I did any, if I'd ever done anything like that before then. I'm sure I'm probably thinking of something, but I think that got me the taste, you know, like the, hey, if so and so gatekeeper won't let me do my thing, I get to do it myself. And so that really goes maybe even further back than you would have wanted to know. But I, Left, I graduated college and was kind of just going around doing improv comedy stuff for a few years, more producing and such. But the first real like entrepreneurial thing that actually put a few bucks in there, much like you, I blogged. I blogged. I always, do you ever feel like this, Monica? Like I started blogging the same year Pat did, and then I like look at his blog. And I'm like, oh man, if only I'd known what I was doing in 2008, maybe would have been flourishing a little bit faster. You know, you know what I mean? Well, I do, except I did not start that early. I I came onto the blogging scene. I launched my blog in January, 2015. So Pat, you know, finding Pat's podcast was a big inspiration for me to actually like take the leap and realize that blogging could be a business and um, could be something that I could do from home on my own schedule and my own time. Yeah. Yeah. Which I loved about that as well. I didn't have a family yet, but you know, it was a great way to not have a boss. And so I ended up blogging for a couple of years, making a few dollars on Google AdSense, nothing crazy. But something turned me on to publishing my own books and taking those blog posts and turning them into a book. 
at first just a PDF on my website, but eventually I discovered one of the great stumble upons of my life was going and seeing that you could publish your own books on Amazon. You could use their Kindle direct publishing platform, take whatever you had, throw it up there. And by September 2010, I had my my first book up there on Amazon. And I just never really wanted to go back. The fact that I could then write more words and put those up and write more words and put those up. And I got really into writing, really into publishing. And then that kind of transitioned into wanting to help the people that were publishing. It it went back to the theater stuff. Like these folks could not get through the gatekeepers that were guarding traditional publishing. So they decided to do it themselves. So I got to help thousands and thousands of entrepreneurially minded writers to get their books out there and sell more copies of that. And that took all sorts of forms, uh, multi-author Facebook events, and then my own podcast, and then courses, and then the book description business. And there's stories to all of those things, but it was all kind of in this path of wanting to help writers who did not want a boss, did not want a gatekeeper to have their success in the world. That's awesome. And I mean, so going back to sophomore year of mm-hmm. college, I really love that you had that spirit within you where, where you were like, you know, well, they told me no, and they seem to be the authority in this space, yeah. but I'm not going to take no for an answer. I mean, I think a lot of people would be like, oh, okay, you know, I guess it wasn't a good idea and just kind of move on with their lives. But I really yeah. love that you had that spirit to, you know, where you believed in your project so much to make it happen. And then, you know, that same story came true with your books. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's where you kind of have this desire to help other people in that space who maybe they have submitted to publishing houses and been turned down, or maybe they just decided that they want to have total control and go that route. Yeah. Those are my people, you know, (laughs) like you with your business, you have your people who are trying to get leads or get sales through online advertising. And I've got my people, the writers, who don't want to go through the traditional channels. So your business, as you mentioned, you've got the podcast, you've done courses, you have the book description agency, and you've done a number of different things. I know you have a live event Mm. and your business has evolved a lot over the years. So how did you figure out where to focus in on because now the focus of your business is mainly the book descriptions and your Mm -hmm. live event and you still podcast, but you've become more focused, especially, you know, in the past couple of years as as I've known you. So what did that look like? Was it hard to kind of, you know, kill your darlings or, you know, was it kind of an easy evolution? What does that look like? For those of us who have a lot of different projects, a lot of different interests and little, you know, various paths that we can go in our business, what did that look like for you? I think for me, it's always been about, can I get certain areas of my life to easily fit into a routine where it would actually be harder to stop doing it than to, like, I'd actually need to, for say my podcast, I've been running five years, 
it would be a major challenge to just not do it anymore. (laughs) But to get to the point where it's taking as little of your time as possible. So with the podcast, Sell More Books show, it's not an interview show. It's a content show where we come up with news stories every week. So it's, it's actually a lot of work every week. And at first it was always me doing it. <laughs> and then eventually we started hiring someone to look for the stories each week. And so for the most part, we just need to show up. And now I have someone who's editing the show and putting the show notes together. So that one went from, what, six hours of time commitment a week down to about 90 minutes. And so that became a lot more efficient with Best Page Forward. Like you say, I didn't always know that it was an agency, but it is an agency. And we started with just me, guy in a room, taking information about people's books and turning it into something that was a lot more marketable and ended up eventually being me and one other person. And then it was really only me and about two or three other people when I did start to look for, well, how can I take this time commitment that is now 20-something hours a week and turn it into something more like eight to 10? And that involved getting a project manager, getting an administrative assistant, going through a couple people who were pretty good, but maybe weren't B plus or A minus or A and continuing to keep looking for more and more people. It involved, I mean, we used to just be straight up emails and Google Docs. And now we have all these automations with Slack and Asana. And our process continues to iterate and get better over time to the point that it was, less of a time commitment each week. And so there's always new things kind of being added to the plate, but things aren't necessarily getting taken away. They're just getting improved upon. And I think, you know, this was a big thing from the accelerator to really sit down and focus on getting that time commitment down from the 20 to 30 down to the 10 to 15 because I'm still doing more than one thing. I'm not fulfilling the one thing philosophy, but it's much better and much less stressful because we've been able to find little process tweaks, little improvements, better people on the team to get that time commitment down so that we could do a live event, so that we could produce another course so that we could do the exciting other new stuff, but we have to make the old stuff more efficient first. So how do you decide what to say no to when things Mm. are competing for your time and for your attention? Well, sometimes it is that efficiency. Like there's the 80-20 rule, and I think a lot of people think about that in terms of money. They think, well, you know, this type of client is all my clients. So let's work with bloggers or let's work with writers instead of trying to work with everybody. But it also has to do with time as well. What is the best 80-20 use of your time? And so there have been things that I really enjoyed doing. There was a, I've had at various points, a second podcast. There was a second podcast 
where I reviewed books and from kind of the reader and the writer perspective. There was a comedy podcast. There was a podcast about advertising. And at usually the reason those went is because they weren't providing that 80-20 kind of value where I could do less and get a lot more value for the time I spent. Usually it was reversed. It was, there was a lot of time commitment, but not a lot of value. And different things that you enjoy doing, you need to figure out, well, am I getting such and such enjoyment out of that hour, out of that three, four hours? Because there could be things that you like doing or that you like in concept that are really sapping your time, sapping your energy. And so I've quit a bunch of things that I really liked doing. And I've also had to, I know you're in the same boat with this, I've had to say no to new requests for my time. New like, hey, do you want to do this interview? Hey, do you want to be a part of this thing? Hey, do you want to do this and this and this? And saying no to that has always been hard, but I've done it a lot more as I've realized the kind of sacrifice I need to make by saying yes to those types of commitments. Well, I'm very honored that you said yes to this interview. <laughs> I got you, you know. <laughs> so you mentioned your team and you know, hiring the right people has been a big yeah. part of that. So what does your team look like today? Right now, I mean, most of it is freelance writers and editors, the bulk of folks. We have three or four first draft writers, three editors, uh, one person who checks things on the back end. And so a lot of them are, I mean, I'm sure it's kind of like the way your team is made up. There's the people doing kind of the groundwork and creating the product that you sell. And then we have my project manager, Rue, who's really stellar. And she and I just talk every week to figure out, all right, what are we doing next? We have kind of our behind the scenes person, Lisa, who's helping with the many, many Asana tasks. We have at any given time, probably about 100 Asana tasks of the different writing projects we're working on, all of which have about 15 subtasks, which involve three or four team members. So having someone running that show is very important. And then we on and off have folks uh, just kind of in smaller administrative roles, helping with certain tasks like editing the podcast or helping to run some ads for my own books or helping to manage the live event we have coming up. So really it ends up being about 11 or 12 people at any given time that we're all partying with at once. Very cool. So I like how everybody is kind of segmented and I definitely have questions about Asana management. So I'm going to come back to that. <laughs> but regarding, you know, talking about hiring, how did you find these people? Are they all, you know, people that were following you on your email list? Have they been from referrals? Has it been a mix of both? And then what does your hiring process look like to kind of vet people who are going to be more likely to be the right fit? And then, you know, what does that hiring process look like in order to make sure that you're, you know, confident in the decision you're making to move forward with someone? 
Sure. Well, I want to make sure people get the right idea about this. These processes very much change over time. This is not the sort of thing, well, wow, he has 12 people. He must be really good at hiring. Well, you know, like sometimes yes, sometimes no. With the kind of the first group of writers, a lot of that is, hey, I'm a writer. I have friends who are writers. Hey, can you, you want to try this out? You want to try this out? And so it starts kind of, it started with friends. And I know there's the old maxim, like never work with your friends, but I've really haven't had too many troubles with that. And I think it's because they're the right kind of friends that can take constructive criticism, which is not always the case. But a lot of people I have found through kind of a more uh, legitimate hiring process put out the word. I usually have started looking for people by sending it out to my own my own list of, of customers and authors. I'm lucky to have a list of over uh, 17,000 authors that I'm connected to. And if I send out a hiring notice to them, they can absolutely send it out to the people they know who might be interested so that you end up get, casting a pretty wide net there. And that was how I've hired a couple of the positions like the project manager, like the kind of my head of writing kind of started by putting out really like as wide a net as possible. The current process we have, and I think this is the best one we've had yet. So this has undergone several. Uh, do you watch The Good Place, Monica? No, I apologize. Okay. I don't you watch should, shows. But that's okay. There's, I'm just thinking about there's this kind of incredible being in that show, Janet, who is kind of like almost like an AI supercomputer in a way, but kind of more like from heaven. Anyway, every time she uh, reboots, aka dies, she gets kind of better each time. And so every time my hiring process dies or it didn't work, it gets better each time, kind of like Janet from The Good Place. So I hope other, I hope someone else watches it and so they know what I'm talking about. But the current process is we put out the call and say, whether it be uh, by email, social media, we've run ads on Facebook, and we put out the call and say, hey, if you're interested in this, email us back with this subject line. And everyone who emails us with the wrong subject line, we ignore that email because they, they did not follow directions. And then if they pass that test, we give them a sample task right away, unpaid sample task based on the work they'd be doing. If they never send us the sample task, okay, they're out of the running. If they send us the sample task and it's at least like B or B or A level work, then we'll do an interview with them and then we'll kind of use the interview to answer a few of the questions we have in mind about that position. We had, when we were doing a writer hiring recently, we asked kind of a question. We were looking specifically, this is kind of funny, it goes back to my origins, improv comedians, because we wanted to find some people who are quick on their feet. And we asked a question of the improv comedians, uh, what is the favorite scene you've been in where you are not the primary focus? And what we were trying to get from that question was, hey, 
are you the kind of person who's always hogging the spotlight or do you like being a part of a team? So we didn't just ask, do you like being a part of a team? We asked this kind of sneaky question to get their answer. And we got some really interesting ones. A lot of them were kind of more of the, I'm the star of the show person. I don't know how to answer this question. And so those can be uh, really instructive when you're asking sneaky questions that are giving you answers that the uh, interviewee don't even know. And then we take kind of the best of the best and offer it usually to a couple of people at once. So they can kind of be like, they're not just the one new guy. There are a couple of new people at the same time. And so we have the people who come in through that process. And then there's always the looking for referrals and people who know people. And and we give them a chance, especially if we really trust the person making the referral. And we found several good people that way too. So there's a lot of different ways to go about it. We've brought on people a lot of different ways. But as far as bringing in strangers, I really like our hiring process for that. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. I love the details where, you know, if people aren't able to follow a simple direction and then they're just automatically out because I know in the work you do and the work that we do, it's very detail oriented. Mm -hmm. And so we need to make sure that we're, you know, finding the right people who are going to pick up on those details and follow directions. So, and going back to what you said about how every time it dies, it gets better, even though I haven't Mm -hmm. seen the show, I definitely relate because every time I have a challenge in my business where, well, you know, we, my team and I are like, well, that didn't go as planned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then we're always, you know, are quick to look at, well, so how can we avoid that in the future? And with hiring, it's such a particular topic where, you know, you've got to make sure that you're doing your due diligence to bring on the right people. Because if you invest, you know, hours and weeks with somebody who is just not a great fit, then, you know, that's time wasted, but it's also time wasted for them. And it's, you know, slowing down your business. So I really appreciate you going into the details with that. Sure thing. Yeah. And I know that you have your own processes as well. And I think that we can all learn from one another. So it's always fun to share these kinds of things. So going back to the Asana tasks, <laughs> my team and I use Asana and we are definitely up to our eyeballs with the, you know, we can definitely relate with the 100 tasks going on right now, plus the 15 subtasks in each mm-hmm. task. So are you on the free version of Asana or did you up-level? Because this is a question that we've kind of been throwing back and forth. So where are you there? I'm almost certain we're paying them money. I can tell you honestly here, let me, I've got Asana open, of course. We are paying for Asana. Okay. And so does that help you automate some of these things in the management, like the management of all the tasks? So right now, the way we do it, Lisa, our back of house person, she does a lot of uh, creating tasks out of templates. And so we're always trying to generate newer and better templates. We actually... I'm not sure how much we got out of it, but we kind of interviewed, kind of got consulting from so-called Asana experts, and we just asked them, hey, how can we make this process better? (laughs) So we paid a couple people hourly just to look at our processes, and they had little suggestions here and there. But a lot of the stuff we have kind of teams, template teams, so we know that 
if Robert is going to be writing the first draft, we know that uh, John will be doing the second draft and Rue will be doing the final draft and all of that based on who starts the project. And so we have a lot of those kind of setups so that we don't have to create the task from scratch every single time. But yeah, there's a fair bit of manual in there. We're always working to figure out how we can automate a bit better. Uh, what we're trying to do is, can we get a automatic, as soon as someone puts in a description, can we get it to automatically populate a new Asana task with all the subtasks? We haven't figured that out yet, but we're trying. And I'll let you know if we get to that point. Please keep me posted. That would be yes, very cool. <laughs> I will. I will. Okay. So on the offering side, you have the agency. So that's best page forward where you have the writers writing the book descriptions. So yes. the back of cover descriptions, and then also the Amazon descriptions, correct? Uh, yeah. So it's the, I mean, pretty much it's the back of cover description, but it's the same thing as the Amazon okay. description, because honestly, if someone's buying your paperback book, they're not looking at the back of the paperback book. <laughs> they're looking at the description online. So that's really where our focus is. Okay. So they're one and the same. So that's your specialty is writing those, but then you also have courses. So what are your, yes. I know you've had several courses in the past, but what else do you offer right now? So this is exciting because, you know, I know that you are an ad agency superstar and one of the most interesting ad platforms that I would say a lot of people without books don't really even understand necessarily without books or without fulfilled by Amazon products, Amazon's advertising platform is super interesting right now this really intriguing platform for content creators because I think there's not as much of a divide between someone who creates a podcast and someone who writes a book as the podcaster might think or as the social media poster or the video creator might think. It's not that far of a jump from those platforms to a book. And once you have a book, and you run ads to it on Amazon, it's relatively cheap to get people, especially in the nonfiction world right now, it's relatively cheap to get that book out into the world and get that onto various other pages throughout Amazon. Amazon's going to be one of the top three ad platforms, if it isn't already, in the world. And so we decided because Amazon ads are growing so much and because they actually serve as just a really great test for whether a book even needs a new book description. We see how many clicks it takes from an Amazon ad for someone to buy your book. If the conversion rate's pretty good, we would tell people you don't need us. If the conversion rate is not, we would tell people, yes, we can help you. And so we have a course, Amazon Ad School, that has been our big focus in 2019 and will be beyond. And so that 
has just dovetailed. We've done other stuff. We tried to teach copywriting in a course, my Selling for Authors course, and that was great. And it did fairly well. But I think this is almost better in a way because much like entrepreneurs, author entrepreneurs are into the shiny objects and Amazon advertising is one of the shiny objects for the author community. So we've done a lot of work on our training for Amazon ads and it has been really fun because I just really like the platform. I'm sure just like you love your Facebook and Instagram, Monica. Absolutely. (laughs) So with this course, is this specifically for authors or can like e-commerce folks and other sellers on Amazon use the information in this course as well? Right now it is just for authors, but I really do plan. This hasn't happened yet, but it's on the to-do list. I want to be that person who's bridging the gap. I want to bring e-commerce and other online entrepreneurs, I want to bring them to the author world because I really do think that adapting your content into a book is not as hard as people think. And because this ad platform is just so interesting and open for people, I think that that is going to be kind of the next step. But currently, the course is really just for people with a book already out in the world. Got it. Okay. So, and you specifically focus with nonfiction authors, correct? Or you do both? It's really interesting. We do both, but 90% of my followers are fiction authors. They're easier to find, honestly, you know, targeting and all that. Fiction authors all hang out in the same places. Nonfiction authors are all across the board. It's a real pain because I actually love working with both and I want to find more nonfiction authors. But most of the authors who work with me are, are fiction at this time. So is that because as a nonfiction author, you might identify yourself more as a speaker or an influencer or, you know, you're a teacher of this, you know, X, Y, and Z, where you've got your platform and then you also happen to have books or a book. Exactly. Usually influencers, even if they have five or six books, would not consider themselves an author, would not necessarily be in, have liked author Facebook pages or author Instagram pages. So they get a little sneaky to find them is an interesting task. So for those of us who do not yet have a book, so, you know, myself included, I have not yet gone down the path of writing a book, but I, you know, over these past couple of years and growing my brand, I have seen what you know, having a book has done for my clients, has done for, you know, people mm-hmm. in our network, for people I know. So can you just kind of break it down? So as a person who would, you know, if I were to write a book, it'd be a nonfiction book, quite frankly, what would that do for my brand, for my business? How would that benefit me? Well, 
to this point, it's always been the argument has been the authority play. The fact that, hey, the beginning of the word authority starts with author. The showing off the expertise, the thing you could sell in the back of the room. But honestly, I think what the argument is going to become is affordable lead generation. It is going to be, you could spend $500 on ads, particularly Amazon, but you could use other platforms to sell $1,500 worth of books. So you get a return on investment, but at the same time, you have five of those people buy your $500 course and it turns into you spent $500 to make $4,000 in a month. I think that it's really the what it could do for your business is, let's say, I'll use you as an example, Monica. Let's say it was the flourish to seven figures with uh, Facebook advertising. And it was kind of the instructional book about Facebook advertising. It's not like comprehensive, but it discusses the basics in a way that people could go off and do it themselves. And you sell this book for $3.99. So you get about $2.75 a pop every time somebody buys it, uh, the ebook, and you sell a couple hundred copies a month. But while that's happening, three of the people who buy it on any given month say, this is great, but I wish someone else could do it for me. And then in the back of the book, you say, hey, I run an agency. You want me to do this for you? And those, you know, several hundred copies turn into those plus another client or two that end up joining. And so I think what it's going to be is it's going to come down to really smart lead generation and a new way to find fans and target fans who aren't on social media, who aren't looking at ads on other platforms, who aren't seeing your videos that are going out or hearing the podcast, but they read books. And the only way to get the book readers who do nothing else is to advertise them on a platform where there are books. Absolutely. And I mean, Amazon is a major search engine. People are searching for a solution when they're, you know, typing into the search bar there. Okay. So going back to your analogy or your example, I just want to make sure I have the numbers right. So how much spent on Amazon in your example that led to $1,500 of book sales? Yes. Uh, 500. 500. Okay. I wrote down five. (laughs) I thought that's incredible. Uh, Not quite that ROI, but... uh... But I've seen it happen, but it's not less likely. Okay. So what is that? I mean, I could do the math, but I mean, in general, is there a general good cost per book sale for Amazon ads? What I like, well, well, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure kinda, there's a range. This is where it comes back to that book description and the conversion rate. So I have a book right now. We kind of think of our rule of thumb is if you can get a sale for every 10 clicks, that's pretty good. I have a book right now that converts at, it gets me a sale one every 2.3 clicks. And so my goal is to spend as much money as possible on that book to try to get as many sales. Now, 
it's a different platform than Facebook. You tell Facebook, I want you to spend $1,000 tomorrow. Facebook's going to say, you got it, boss. Happy to do it for you. (laughs) Absolutely. Will that that 1000 be well spent? Not necessarily. But Amazon's a different beast. Because if you say, I don't want to spend too much per click, but I want to spend $1,000 tomorrow, Amazon's like, $6? Sure, I'll spend $6. It doesn't necessarily spend your entire budget. Whether that be because it has so many people who are bidding higher than they should be, or because it just doesn't have the space for it, I'm not sure. But that's a positive and a negative. I would love to, based on my current conversion rate, I would love to spend $1,000 tomorrow to that book. It would be very, very difficult for me to do that with a reasonable bid. So it takes a different kind of mindset where you're actually going out and finding lots of different targets. Uh, You're creating lots of different ads. You're creating lots of different ad types to try to get even remotely close to as many clicks as you want to be getting to the book that is converting well. Now, if the book isn't converting 10 to 1, it's taking more than 10 clicks to get a sale, then you work on the sales page. One of the main things you can do on the sales page, which also involves your book cover, your title, your number of customer reviews, it's that book description. And so you improve the book description, you improve that conversion rate, you improve the chances of getting something like putting out 500 bucks, making $1,500 in book sales, and making $2,500 in course sales. That was a lot of stuff there, right? That was a lot mm-hmm. of numbers and randomness, and you don't have a book out, and you're like, okay. So, okay. So, going back to the other example you gave me was a $3.99 book where I'm making $2.75. To me, that sounds like that's a very low potential return. So how do I know that I'm gonna, my ROI is going to be good enough with investing in Amazon ads? Or is that not really a concern that people encounter? Well, because the cost per click is pretty low, you can do quite well. Now, a lot of the fiction authors who do extremely well, and there's some nonfiction, but I see this more in the fiction world. The fiction authors who are doing well They have a lot of books. They have a really large backlist and they have a series. So there's something they think about that's a read through. If they are are doing that, making that 275 on book one, but they know that 30% of the people who buy book one are going to go on and read all the way to book 10. They aren't actually making just 275. They end up making 20 bucks because people are going on and buying the other books in the series. So that's kind of the fiction version of the funnel. The nonfiction version of the funnel is you run your numbers. Every hundred sales you get, maybe three people buy your course. So you can kind of backtrack that to all right, well, if one out of every 33 people buys my $500 course, then you can kind of do the math there and say, oh, actually, I end up making something like $16 every time somebody buys my book 
based on one out of 33 people buying the course. And so it's really a matter of, it's not about the 275. It's about what else are you getting? What else are the numbers showing you? You can obviously do things like a specific coupon code at the back of your book so that you know, oh, this person who bought my course definitely came from buying the book. And that sort of stuff in order to really get a good handle on, well, what was my ROI on this ad campaign? I like that a lot. And having that bigger picture of you as well is something that I like to teach and talk about with Facebook ads too. You know, whenever we're driving traffic and we're generating leads, people get so disappointed when they didn't make a sale from that lead within the seven days of their funnel. Whereas mm-hmm. if we think about the big picture view, it's still people that are being introduced to them that they wouldn't have you know, but gotten in front of in another way. And they might not be ready to buy at this time, but they might buy down the road. So I like to have that bigger picture view as well. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Sure. And you bring up big picture. And I also think about lifetime value. Right. Customer lifetime value, which is something at the beginning of an ad campaign that is difficult to quantify. But there are people who in the last two years have bought a book description, a course, and a ticket to a live event. Same person. And the lifetime value of them, they end up being over $1,000 from that person. And however that person found me, obviously that upped my average lifetime value per customer just based on how much I ended up earning from that person. Absolutely. So since you brought up the live event, can you share a little bit about your live event? Oh, sure, sure. Now I know it is mostly for the book people, but I've been sitting on the URL. You're a URL junkie like me, aren't you, Monica? I know. I don't think I'm quite at your level. You're not at my level, no. (laughs) I think like some of the folks we know, like David might be a little bit crazier on this. I'm sure Pat is. But I've been sitting on selfpublishinglive.com for two years, figuring out what am I going to do with this? And I ended up, now I am kind of starting my own series of events. I have co-produced a couple of events. This is a 100-person max live event for beginning self-published authors in the fiction and nonfiction realm, uh, probably with a little bit higher focus on fiction. It's going to be in Chicago, August 14th through 16th, 2020. And I'm really excited about it. Uh, We just have about four or five uh, speakers booked right now, but I've liked this size event a lot. I've liked a hundred people because at a hundred people, it doesn't feel too overwhelming that you could meet almost everybody at the event. And we have a lot of introverts in our industry. There's a lot of introverted authors. I'm about to go speak when we're recording this. It will be done by the time this airs, but I'm about to go speak at one of the bigger self-publishing events, which is going to have a thousand plus people at it. And I'm totally fine with that, but it's not for every introverted author. So introverted authors would like a little bit of space, would like a little bit of uh, quiet time in between. and, And so... We're doing the goal, the long-term goal 
I want to do multiple self-publishing live events every year. And I really, really want to take it international because we have so many authors in the UK, so many authors in Australia, so many authors in Canada that have to really trek for these kinds of events. But I want to make it easy on them. And I want to make it an event where people really get the theme of this year's event is the missing steps of self-publishing. And I think entrepreneurs can kind of get a feel for this too. You've done something, you've set up a shopping cart, you've put up a webinar, you've done these things, and it's not going as well as you know, your mentors' webinars did, or you're not getting the conversion rate they say they're getting, and you're missing something. You don't know what it is. Is it a gap of knowledge? You just don't know something. Is it that you rushed ahead and you should have gone back and figured something out? Is it that you tried something shiny and new and you really should have tried a 2017 tactic that still works just fine? And so that's the theme for our event is to really focus on, okay, well, what did you miss? Let's like back up a little bit. If you're not making the money you thought you would on your publishing, you have 10 books out, but you're only making $200 a month. Why? And what can we fix so that we get that 200 to 300? So we get that 1000 to 1500. And so I think you can tell I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah, I think it's going to be an incredible event. And I know that you are a phenomenal speaker. And obviously starting, you know, in your theater days that you are going to put on a great show because you obviously have a lot of experience with that. And I, I, I appreciate those smaller, more intimate events as well. I've gone to you know the super big, <laughs> crazy yeah. events where it seems like you can't meet anybody new because there's just so many people. But yeah. it's at those smaller events where I really you know, make great connections. And I feel like I actually you know, left the event with some new friends and you know, that I want to keep in touch with. So I really appreciate that as well well. And I love your vision of wanting to do multiple events and take it internationally. I'm very excited for you, Ryan, and for the author community. Thank you. Yeah. They're really the ones that are going to benefit because I'm just going to be tired. Like (laughs) you are going to be be running around. I know your energy. You're going to be great. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So I would love just to wrap up here. I would love to hear your top three copywriting tips tactics that it can really take, you know, so I think this can apply with your book descriptions. You know, Mm -hmm. you've only got so much space where you can really draw a reader in and help them, you know, decide that this is the book they need. And, you know, our ads are the same with our Facebook ads. They're the same way. You know, we can go on and on, but we only have limited space in order to convey our message. So if you want to take some copy from, you know, okay to wow, What would you be looking for? What would you change? What would you tweak at the beginning? Three things. Solve a problem. Establish your expertise. Show the reader or customer how they will transform. So let me backtrack. Solving a problem. When readers are on Amazon, which as you rightly pointed out, is a search engine for buyers, they are looking to figure something out. 
whether it be how can I create amazing Facebook ads or how can I write an amazing synopsis for my book, they're looking to solve a problem. So right off the bat, whether you're writing a sales page or a book sales page, a book description, you want to start off with sharing that your book is the solution to their problem. Are you struggling to get a positive return on your Facebook ads? Discover the five-step system to getting more leads for less money. Right off the bat, tell them that if you have this problem, your book is the solution. Establish expertise. I feel like I rewrote a bio of yours, Monica. I seem to remember this. Yes, uh, And I did one for Jada too. Jada Selner, our friend. And what I remember doing in both, and I think I got some details wrong on yours, as I recall, but um, what I remember doing on both is talking y'all up, is highlighting that you are an expert in what you do. We're all pretty modest. Maybe not the Lambros so much, but we're pretty modest. And As a result, we have a tendency to undersell ourselves. I was writing a blurb for Pat and had to freaking talk him up. (laughs) Like, you know, you have some accomplishments there, Mr. Flynn. And sharing those in the description as well will increase sales because you need to say, hey, you've done this. You've been in this industry for 10 years or you've sold this many copies or you've hit this list, or you've spoken at this event. That needs to be in there. We do not always establish our expertise, but that needs to be a part of your book sales page or your regular sales page. And then how will they transform? I believe I've cribbed this term from Ray Edwards, a copywriting genius, um, the term of transformational Benefits. I like to think of it as a, kind of an, an old improv term, an A to C jump. Let's say you're writing the Facebook ads book and you could say you will be able to get a higher return on investment, but that's really more of an A to B jump. What does that higher return on investment mean? It means maybe you can get double the customers on autopilot. And I know none of these ad platforms are autopilot, but just trying to come up with a quick example, instead of saying you'll get a higher return on investment, you can say in half the time, you'll get double the customers so that you can finally focus more on what's important to you. You know, what are you going to get out of that? You can finally take a week off because you don't have to spend all your time on sales calls. What do you get? What will get you excited about reading this book? Because, look, you might have 75 examples of great Facebook ads, of winning ROI Facebook ads. Uh, You might have so many different things in there. But I don't want so many things. I don't want a 70-module course. I want, well, how is this going to change my life? That's what I want to know. And if your course or your book or your whatever is not the longest, most jam-packed thing in the world, but it tells me 
that I'm going to get to take a vacation this year because I saved up enough money, I'm more willing to pay attention. Does that all make sense? Absolutely. That's gold, Brian. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. I feel like, so it's it's about peeling back the onion, you know, unraveling the layers of, mm-hmm. you know, what, you know, what they originally want on the surface level, but thinking about your avatar and really getting to the nitty gritty of why that is important to them. So yeah. I really appreciate, I think that's something that we need to, I know I need to think about when writing copy as well. And so I, anyway, I think that's pure gold. So for those of you listening, if you have ever thought about writing a book, I definitely encourage you to check out Best Page Forward when drafting your book descriptions because I think those are the details that at least I didn't even think about until I met you that, yeah, mm-hmm. that's obviously a very important part of the you know, process of selling the book. So it, you know, it's quite a project to write the book, but then once you've got it written, you want to be able to get it in the hands of as many you know, people as possible. And doing that, you know, anything that you can do to increase book sales, writing a great book description that's going to go on the back cover of your book or on the Amazon sales page, it's super important. So definitely check out Best Page Forward. And I think you have an incredibly affordable service there and that any author would be silly not to take advantage of it. But then also share what else you've got going on or share any necessary relevant URLs <laughs> since you have a whole bunch um, yes. where people can find you if they want to learn more from you, Brian. Sure. Well, for people who haven't written a book, keep an eye out 2020 and beyond. I've got something for you in the works. So we're going to talk you and I, but If you have the book, let's say it's even the book that you put up in 2015 and you've just kind of forgotten about, or you have written a book in the last couple of years, and all of my talk about advertising has gotten you excited. Well, in January, I am running a challenge. You know, we love our challenges, me and Monica. I'm running a challenge called the five-day Amazon ad profit challenge. And really, the goal is to just have one profitable ad on Amazon to promote your book, which could obviously be more profitable if you have a little bit of back end on there. And that is going to be live soon at bestpageforward.net forward slash challenge, bestpageforward.net forward slash challenge. You can sign up to the challenge in mid to late January and you can be a part of that. And that's all free and fun and exciting. And you can learn a lot more about me during that time. Because if it's anything like the one I just did in September, I'm going to be responding to 8,000 freaking Facebook comments. So uh, that'll be a blast. Very exciting. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Brian. Uh, Really appreciate your time and sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And thanks for doing this show and sharing all this great info with people with all the other episodes you've done, because I know as a podcaster, it's tiring. So you are doing great work. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Wasn't that interview chock full of great tips and advice? Now it's time for you to take action. What ideas that Brian shared are you going to implement? 
Brian and I actually recorded this interview a couple of months ago when I was in the middle of hiring and I implemented some of his tips. And I got to say that his advice helped me bring on a couple of amazing new team members. And if you're ready to make Amazon ads work for you, then I encourage you to join Brian's five-day Amazon ad profit challenge. And you can register for the challenge at bestpageforward.net slash challenge. And I'd love for you to share your takeaways with Brian and me in the comments at monicalouie.com slash 36, or tag Brian and me on Instagram. I am at Flourish with Monica, and he is at Brian Cohen blurbs, and we'll have those links in the show notes. And I want to give a huge thank you once again to Brian Cohen for coming on the podcast and sharing his tips and expertise with us. You'll find all the links and resources that we mentioned in this episode at monicalouie.com slash 36. Thank you so much for joining Brian and me today. If you're ready to scale your business with Facebook ads, then check out my free Facebook ads starter kit. You can find that at monicalouie.com slash guide. The starter kit takes you through the six steps to creating campaigns that convert. Plus there's an awesome checklist so you can make sure you've got everything you need before you jump into the ads manager. And if you're like me, then you love a good checklist. And if you're interested in learning more about how my team and I might be able to help you with your Facebook, Instagram, or Pinterest ads, go to monicalouie.com WWM. We have information there about our services. As I mentioned, I'll have all the links and resources that we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes, which you can find at monicalouie.com slash 36. And if you found this helpful, please leave a rating and review so that more people can find this podcast and subscribe so that you can be notified when the next episode comes out. Brand new episodes come out every single Thursday. And next week, I've got another great episode heading your way. So subscribe so you don't miss it. I hope you'll join me next week on the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. Take care and bye for now. 